Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how are things? I'm doing well. Uh, you're looking you're looking pretty tired. I think you have a new, a new puppy, a new dog. It's keeping you up at night? <laughs> uh, not at night, no. He's sleeping well. Uh, well, he's sleeping very well, but he is uh, hard to keep uh, keep up with. I'll... Uh... I will give you that. Yeah, he's great fun, though. He's great, great addition. There seems to be, everyone I talk to seems to have some kind of dog or something that's um, um, some kind of distraction during during uh, lockdown. Um, but yeah, no, it's great to have a little little uh, little buddy in the house. Yeah, it's a good time, uh, you know, given the, I suppose, the, the grimness of, of, of kind of day-to-day life these days. I actually don't like dogs and people always give me grief over it, but... Yeah, it's a real character flow, but I mean, like, Apparently. even without that information, I could have told them that. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, on a serious note, it's great to have someone who actually likes me in the house. I think dogs are great for their unconditional, unconditional love, um, and that's what I've been experiencing so far. It's been a revelation. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> he can stay, Will. <laughs> yeah, well, a, a new edition for 2021 would like to be joined by good friend of the show, Rory O'Connor, as well. Rory, how are things? Good, thanks. Crack a plate. And... It's funny, I was talking to you earlier in the week. I had heard you on News Talk maybe last week or some stage. A friend of mine texted me and said, geez, Rory's been very, very negative about the, the chance of some of these of some of these Champions Cup games going ahead. And I was just like, don't listen to Rory. I think he's getting ahead of himself. <laughs> being a bit negative, I think. But that, Rory, that's why you're the rugby correspondent and I'm just talking crap here. Like, you, you call that one right. So the, the state of play at the moment, Champions Cup shelved. They've done a bit of rearranging in the Pro 14. A couple of matches have been brought forward, but not not a huge amount. The Six Nations at the moment is scheduled to go ahead. There was a statement earlier today. The women's and the under-20s has been postponed, but the, but the senior competition stated to go ahead. So I suppose, like, how do you reflect on it at the moment where we are? Like, Do you expect the Six Nations to go ahead? And what did you make of the Champions Cup being, being called ashore? And that? Yeah, it's like... It's very difficult to make any definitive predictions, you know. It's it's. Um, I think any weekend we get a, a round of games in is a good weekend, and we should enjoy what we have when we have it because 
like all you have to do is, is look at the news and take lift their heads up from the sports uh, the sports side of things to realize how what sort of a mess we're in at the moment in this neck of the woods and I can understand why the French don't really want it, want their players coming in and out of England and probably Ireland at this stage as well so that's what's happened the French are basically the French government have stepped in and they've said to their clubs they don't they don't, they don't want their clubs traveling to and from England I think a lot of the French clubs the ones that probably had no chance of getting to the quarterfinals are quite happy with that um, you know we're, we're kind of exposed that, well, sorry we're very exposed in Ireland because we, we only play against teams from other countries you know like we have Sorry, we have our four provinces, but we can't sustain a competition with just the four of them, unfortunately. And um, we're reliant on playing against teams from other countries. And, and as soon as there's restrictions on, on, on movement of people, we're, we're in trouble. So do I expect Six Nations to go ahead? Like, I think at this stage, I think it will go ahead. Um, but I wouldn't put any money on it. I, you know, I wouldn't put any money on anything at the moment. I think Munster and Leinster will, will almost definitely happen. But I would have said that before Stevens' day. And, like, you know, I was filing stories on Christmas Eve about that being cancelled. So, you know, we're in a very weird place and there's no guarantees. So, um, like, I hope it goes ahead. I think it's it's good to, good for everyone to have some, some some sport to watch and some sport to focus on, as long as it's safe for the players and the people involved. And I think largely it, it has been, but when you do have cases of clubs playing against England, like, I think it was Bayonne played against Leicester and came back with, like, eight positive cases and brought the UK variant into, into France. I mean, that's... That's the reality of where we are right now, and that's what the clubs are looking at. And I can understand why they're they're risk averse on, on that sort of thing. Yeah, and like I, I noticed in the French statement, it was saying that they don't want you know the French teams going to play in the UK. And I was just thinking, geez, have they not looked at Ireland's numbers? Like we're meant to be, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, like, we're, like we're hosting yeah. France and match day two, but it feels like that one's allowed to go ahead at the moment. It's like maybe they haven't uh, copped on quite yet to the, the situation here. But Luke, I suppose as Roy says. The Champions Cup, you have like 12 French clubs coming to different parts of Europe, the Six Nations, it's just six teams. The international teams are in bubbles like Ireland and, you know, Carton House or wherever they stay and the other teams are similar. So you'd like to think that, that can be run in a very tight ship and hopefully get played out. Oh, yeah. Like, I think from just even from a financial standpoint, I think they do. They, they need to go ahead. They need to find a way. And whether or not they incur some kind of, like I would imagine it's probably a good enough time to be negotiating, you know, having a flight completely to yourself uh, and the team coming in. Um, you know, I was in, uh, I don't know if any of you guys have been in airports at all. Uh, I was in one, I was in Heathrow back in March last year or uh, um, maybe April, sorry. And like, it's a ghost town. So like, I'd imagine, you know, if there was ever time to be saying, listen, we need a plane to our, to ourselves and, you know, you nearly be even saying, I remember on the Lions tour, we, we got the bus right out to the airport, check the bags in at the, um, you know, at the hotel. Like, you'd have to think, if they, could they do something just to make, the, to, to get the thing going ahead? Um, because I do think Rory's right. I do think sport actually is a real important, it's, it's part of the fabric of society, you know, and look, not everyone supports rugby. Um but I mean, they're they're making a real good go of, the, of of getting the football and continuing the football going on over in the UK and and just you know generally around the world, um, because I think there's a recognition that sport is very important to to just mental health gives people a break in the weekend something to to look forward to something to talk about when you're when you're with, you know chatting to your mates or whatever it is, um, and um, yeah, I, I do hope and I really think that the, 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 there'll be a real push to do whatever it takes to make this thing as safe as possible for all parties involved um, by the time it kind of rolls around in, in February. And I would, I would also think 
that the numbers of people getting cases will probably be Jesus, big, big call here. But I do think it looks like the numbers are coming down fairly quickly on a daily basis so far. You know, it's obviously not, you know, to be tested, to be looking at this on a daily basis, can you really see a trend? But it does look like they're coming down by a couple of thousand a day. Um, the last time I checked over the last, sorry, the last couple of days. So hopefully that trend continues. And by the end of January, February, we're in a situation where hopefully we're kind of at the, you know, 10 or 15 cases, whatever it was when it was at the low ebb. Um, and hopefully there's obviously increased vaccine rollout the longer time goes through uh, and more of the vulnerable people are looked after, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's what I'm probably hoping will happen. And I think it'll go ahead because I think they'll try and get it, do as much as they can um, to to uh, to get the thing played just from a financial standpoint as well, because the, the game is, you know, it's in, it's in a bad state at the moment, you know, financially. Yeah, it's an interesting journey, like kind of rugby and COVID has been on. Because I remember like back in the lockdown when there was no sport played, you know, reading articles with with some prominent, you know, medical people in Ireland saying that, like, they couldn't see rugby being played because, you know, it's a contact sport and players are, you know, in each other's faces the whole time. So, like, it's funny from there and then you go through it and coming back and, I'm, you know, I suppose last time we were talking about how well, you know, things have gone and then the match was, was called ashore. But, you know, there will be issues. But, but even to get this far has been a good achievement, I think. And as you say with the tournament not starting for another three weeks and then France not coming to Ireland for another four weeks, hopefully things have settled down a little more by then. But on the finances road that Luke mentioned there, interesting news of CVC, that deal looks to be kind of being ratified in the, in the next while. I know you, you touched on it in a piece today. Interesting timing, obviously, like it'll be a huge cash injection, you know, as well as obviously the, the finances coming into the unions. Like, is there anything in the short term you know, you could see CBC changing regarding the Six Nations. Like I know uh, the, the TV deal is up after this year. That'll be a big one, potentially going behind a paywall, which would be huge. Um, like, what are you, what are you thinking there? Well, it does sound like that they're quite keen for it to go ahead within its a lot of window this time around. So I think there are going to be big drivers of it because it does sound like the deal will be done before the Six Nations gets going. I'd say it may be done in time for the Six Nations launch, and we'll we'll have a big push around. Of publicity around that in a, in a couple of weeks' time, so um, I think short term. Besides that, I think they'll leave, they'll leave it as is. They'll they'll probably. I think their big focus will be on the rights. They have now got you know if they once once they close this deal, they have the Premiership in England. They have the Pro 14 and they have the Six Nations. I thought I think I saw the Premiership has already been. I've already signed up with BT for another another contract. Which I was surprised they didn't wait until they had all three properties to sell at once. Um, but I think it's almost certain that we're going to, you know, this will be the last Six Nations that's going to be fully free to air, um, which is a real shame. I think for the long term future of the game and for for people accessing the game, I yeah. Think do you think it's a bit, do you think it's a big deal, Rod? Like it's one of the things that's always held up as like kind of a doomsday scenario, almost that if rugby yeah, disappears I, off RTE and then the BBC in England, that like you know it could be cat- catastrophic for playing numbers for visibility. Like is that how you see? Well, I think visibility-wise, I, I, I would I would be concerned about it because I, I look. I think short term, and I think the pandemic gives them cover to do it. Like gives the RF, like the RF, you need the cash. Everyone needs the cash to keep going and pay the players and keep the whole show on the road. And I think in the next five years, it's very hard to argue against it. But I think in the long term, like we, I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but like the the, the Champions Cup. Is, is way, way lower on the profile stakes than it was when it was on Sky. Even. So once you went from Sky to BT, and BT isn't really available, so it's available in Ireland, but a lot, not a lot of people have BT in Ireland. 
And I think those weekends are nowhere near as big as, as they used to be. And that's just going from one satellite provider to another. So you go from Virgin Media, where, you know, we saw the figures last week, like the biggest games last year were the, were the Six Nations games and the Odd Nations Cup games. Like they were getting more than a million people. Like not a million people don't have Sky in Ireland so, or, or BT. So you're, you're instantly cutting off um, a, a big chunk of your audience. Now, some of the, I think they'll do a deal like the, like the one where Virgin have um, Pro 14, or sorry, uh, Champions Cup games. So you, you'll probably have one free fair round, sorry, one free fair game around. And that will probably keep some, you know, but it'll probably be Ireland Italy, you know, like it, it won't be Ireland England and Twickenham and, and the big one that everyone wants to watch or the grandstand decider. So I do think like cricket is the big example of this. And I don't have the numbers to hand, but when cricket went on satellite and was taken off free to air, playing numbers dropped and kids became this, uh, you know, I don't know if disenfranchised is the right word, but they, they didn't just didn't see it. It wasn't visible to them. So they didn't want, you know, you can't see, you can't be it. That's the 20 for 20 slogan. Um, you know, some you know some kids have Sky, some don't. But you're basically taking the eyeballs away from your sport. Which, yeah, short term you, you sell the crown jewels and you get the good money for it, and you keep the show on the road for the next ten, you know five ten years. But I think twenty years down the line, you might pay a price. Um, hard to make that argument though when you're Philip Brown, and you're trying to keep the show on the road. Yeah, Luke, and, and on the point Rudd makes there, like the Champions Cup is an interesting one. I, I definitely agree that. In, in the last few years when it's been BT only, as he says, and not many people have it compared to Sky back in the day. But at the same time, when it went to Sky only, it was a huge competition for, for many years when it was only pay-per-view on Sky after leaving. I know RT had rights, you know, kind of in the heyday of it at the start. So, you know, you could look at that and say, well, the Heineken Cup still thrived for many years, but obviously international is a different beast entirely. It's far bigger the numbers are huge on terrestrial TV. So, like, would you be in Rudd's kind of camp there that, you know, it could be a dangerous game in the medium to long term to, to sell it? Yeah, it's really, you know, it's such a difficult call. I, I completely, um, I can see Rudd's point of view and recognise, yeah, a lot of good points there. I mean, you're, you're risking, again, a lot of people who mightn't be able to afford watching the game, you know, losing out on, the ability to see heroes and want to go out and play mini rugby and all this kind of stuff. And again, you might not see those things or the impact of that, you know, until, you know, quite a long period down the road. Um, I would still say that like, look, people were taking this game over um, or taking, sorry, taking, uh, sorry, you know, the, the smart money has generally done some fairly good analysis on this. And I still think that those kind of things, um, I mean, look, I suppose all these things depend on an investment horizon, of course, and how long they're looking to hang on to it. They might be looking for a quick book and say, well, let's get in and out of this in 10 years, whatever it is. I don't, no one knows that. But generally the smart money, you know, which you'd have to think they are, and they've lots of experience, um, will have done the research and will have kind of anticipated these kind of, these kind of pitfalls and will have solutions there that hopefully they think are hopefully will work for the game and still grow the game and, and get as many people access to the game as possible because it's very key for, for us. I mean, I think the big danger for rugby and have taught for a very long period of time is that it's still only played amongst a very small cohort of countries, really. And there's only really about probably four or five countries that could really win a World Cup, you know, every time it comes around. And I still think a big, you know, one of the big things that they should be doing is trying to grow that and trying to make sure that, you know, wherever many teams are in the competition, you might, you probably should have more teams, first of all, but the teams that you have in it, you should have more of them who are really capable of winning the thing. 
And the best way of doing that is by getting more of the bigger kind of countries involved and more eyeballs on the game. So, look, I, I still think, you know, that, you know, you'd have to think the people who are investing in the game, buying the rights for this, have really anticipated that. Um, and hopefully their horizon for the investment isn't a short-term one, but it's a long-term one. And growing the game, I think, is probably, you should be within the strategy for making money out of it too. Um, you know, more, more people watching, better players playing, better product. Uh, you know, you have to think more advertising, you know, and eventually better investment. So hopefully that's kind of the, their thinking. Um, but again, can't disagree with anything that Rhodes has said. It is certainly a risk. Yeah, and then just on the, like the, the pay-per-view thing, and I know we're looking like down the line, but in terms of an Irish audience as well, it could be particularly you know frustrating because at the moment we're in a situation where you know to get BT or Air Sport, you have to have be a Sky subscriber or an Air subscriber. So if you have a Virgin Media box, you actually can't even access those channels. So you could end up being in a situation where like a huge cohort of, of people, even if they wanted to subscribe and pay for it, couldn't. So. That's something to, to keep an eye on. Or Amazon Prime, similarly, or, or Premier Sport. Some people actually can't access these channels on their box, even if they were willing to pay. So it's definitely one be interesting because I think the rights are up after this season. So it'll be probably have to be done in the, in the next couple of months. As Rudd said, now that they have a kind of a slice of a few different pies, perhaps there could be some sort of package there. Albeit, uh, you know, the Premiership going to BT already kind of cuts that one off. Rudd on the Pro 14 as well. You know, I saw you tweeting about it. You know, they have two free weekends all of a sudden. Uh, they've kind of taken the option of just rescheduling a couple of the games that ori originally had been postponed, Leinster Munster being one of them, and uh, not this weekend, the following weekend, Edinburgh-Glasgow, I think, is this weekend, and I think Edinburgh playing uh, Zebra as well uh, on the following weekend. You know, what, what do you make of their decision there, like just looking at the at the at what they have left to play? Like they have five full rounds of fixtures and a couple of teams who have a couple of postponed games still to play. Given that they're not using the next three weeks or are only using them for the postponed fixtures, that's that leaves kind of seven weekends for five full rounds of matches and, and five of those weekends are going to be Six Nations weekends because the final is on the 27th of March, the week after Ireland play England. So it's a very compressed schedule. Um, so do you think it's wise what the, what they've done now? Well, I, I do think that we're, the final may not take place on the 27th of March because I think by February we won't have a Rainbow Cup. You know, I mean, like that's... Of all the things, you know, of all the predictions I'd be confident to make it, like that type, that tournament, that can't happen, you know, that's, unless they bring the South Africans over and, and play out of London or something, and even still, I, I think that's very unrealistic. So they might have a bit of wiggle room down the line, but I think, as I kind, of, I kind of alluded to earlier, I think when you have a weekend where it's possible to play rugby, play rugby. I mean, the only game of rugby in Ireland this weekend is Leinster-Ulster uh, in, in an A game at three o'clock on Friday afternoon, which thankfully now BBC are showing on a live stream. But it's still three in the afternoon uh, on a Friday, and not a lot of people will be watching it. Most of Ireland's best players won't be playing, so I think there was definitely scope to like this was coming. We knew on Friday, Thursday, Friday that the French teams were pulling out of the Pro 14. Sorry, out of the Champions Cup. I think the Pro 14 organisers needed to knock some heads together, get the broadcasters on side, and play a full round this weekend. There are derbies, like there's one round of derbies left, um, which includes uh, the Leinster Ulster rematch and the Connacht Munster rematch. Um, I think that should be played this weekend because it limits, still limits your travel and it, um, and it allows you to play around the games that's not in the Six Nations where you've all your internationals available. Like Andy Farrell wants his players playing right now. These are two weekends where he wants to see the internationals playing. I'm sure Gregor Townsend's the same. I'm sure Wayne Peebach is the same. I'm sure Franco Smith is the same. Get those games played and then play your Leicester Munster and whatever games you need to refix next weekend. And then you've got the Six Nations. And 
and you've got like you've got a, a captive audience of people who want to watch rugby this weekend and, and there's nothing and you've a lot of load of fit internationals who want to prove themselves and they're not playing any rugby it's i think it's crazy that they weren't able to do it i know it's difficult with them like logistically but like you've got to be able to move fast in this environment i think you know there's no guarantee that you're going to be playing you're going to be able to play all of those weekends that you've got scheduled given the scenario we're in so you know like the, the Fr- English have decided to take a two-week circuit breaker, which I also think is crazy, whereas the French are playing loads of games, which I think is the way to go. I think when you've got the chance to play games in this environment, play them. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Luke, because obviously Leinster Munster has been fixed for, for two weeks' time, but Ulster and Connacht, I think, are going to go in to the Six Nations, the guys who were involved with four weeks with no game time. Uh, far from ideal. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, disappointing that they can't get so they can't put something together for that one, and I completely agree. Nothing further to add um you know from uh, from what Rhodes has said there around getting the fixtures in place you know um look i would say like at this point um you know the, the, it's a really good point if just to touch on something that Rhodes said about you know having um you know being able to I suppose, be adaptable be quick and be able to move with the times like it's going to be a fluid situation like if if anything is you know i just think the one thing that's been really clear throughout this whole year is that this is changing constantly. You know, there's going to be, like, to, to think that there's going to be, you know, a clear path to a vaccine. At, to, I, look, I hate to be, like, doomsday about it, but I, I do think that there will be different variants that won't be covered that may require, um, you know, a different, like a, a, a slight tweak to the vaccine. There'll be little things like that, I think, that we've come, come up with along the way with this. And I think what's very clear to me is that you have to have, uh, as many other options of you know testing, um, you know getting games played quickly, uh, having venues, having staff ready to go quickly. Um, you need to be able to do all those things as quick as possible. And whether it, like look, whether you have to sack the competition at certain points just to get a game between yourselves, even you say right, like let's get guys some game time because like I think it's not really it, it becomes nearly a health thing as well for the players if you're not playing often enough as well. Um, you know, and look, leaving aside, you, you do want to be ready for the big events for Six Nations and everything, but you do need to be playing rugby. Like, you can't just be lifting weights all the time. So, they, they, yeah, look, I think this might have been an opportunity missed, but I think, like, in saying it's a fluid situation, it's also fluid from a learning perspective as well, and I think they'll continue to do that. And I think the game has done pretty good, considering we're a contact sport, um, to, to have gotten so much played and so much of the competition through. And they've adapted well so far, but um, there's definitely been a learning from this weekend. They could have got that one in, I think. It's a pity they couldn't uh, probables versus possibles game together this weekend. That would have been that would have been the way to go. Be yeah, it would have been really ah, yeah. good. Yeah, like that, that one in New Zealand was a like that was a just a crack. That was one of the best games of rugby I've seen. Yeah, I've seen. Period. Actually, a really good. Yeah, like what's the flex something like that road? Like, is that just kind of pine the sky stuff that we're throwing out here, or is something like that actually like feasible? Really, I mean, like. like- but the IRFU own the players, so I mean, imagine if you imagine if there was a rake injuries though. Like, look, you're playing rugby, it's a risky take, but there'll be lads going out to kill each other or not. But you could have played Leinster Munster this weekend and then that next, like, I'm, like yeah. I just think that you know, you've got a you've got a free weekend, you've got guys who need to play. You mm. know, there's a chance there for Andy Farrell, you know, split up the coaching ticket, get Paul O'Connell and, and Richie Murphy on one team, and then Simon Eastby and John Fogarty doing the other team, and Mike Cass and let them at it like that like this is the kind of thing they do in New Zealand all the time and South Africa did it as well even though they didn't play any games afterwards like it's 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 a chance you know there are right opportunities here to do things you know and, any, and it's also you've no broadcast deal in place so you can sell 
that game and generate a few quid for yourself. Um, and it's just before the Six Nations, it gets a bit of hype going, it gives us something to talk about because like all we've been talking about so far is is like, you know, COVID stuff because it's an empty weekend ahead, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I do think they need to have some, like, it, sorry, it is definitely possible. The RFU, you know, have the power to do anything they want, really. It's, it's years. They used to play those games. I really think it's a it's an awful shame that they never happen anymore. That's a great, that is a serious idea. Sorry, I'd it's actually... not my idea. I have to say it was uh, Rory for the Daily Mail put it up to the <laughs> 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 that was nice well, his name I was, is Rory was like, anyway like, so you're halfway like, get Rudd's a job in the RFU now get him in there sort it out <laughs> they'd love him um, they'd absolutely love me they, 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 they could <laughs> um, I mean a fresh choice but it would be great to, and I think look it's things like that might be like if they have to can a good bit more of the season like th- things like that might be a creative way of keeping eyeballs on the game and keeping people involved and fit and stuff yeah so yeah, interesting. Yeah, hopefully they come up with a few solutions like that if we do have these uh, kind of roadblocks coming up, you know? Yeah, but if nothing else, it could even, like Connacht and Ulster could just play even a match against each other, you know, next weekend before Leinster Munster. I, I hit it for both teams. I don't know why, like, I don't, there might be stumbling blocks again behind the scenes, but that could be an option. And in terms of flexibility, like that you were mentioning, Rod, like, I like the way the Champions Cup, you know, when you first saw the two rounds being postponed, you're thinking, oh, crap, like, this is never going to be finished. But they already came out. I saw the Leon president with the idea of going straight to knockout last 16, which actually eliminates the dead rubbers as well, which seems to be a really good solution, I think, when if they finally get uh, to go back to those games in April. So, fingers crossed that plays out. We might just move on uh, to, to, to some of the weekend stuff, uh, last weekend, that is. And I, I suppose... A couple of players I want to kind of troll at you guys and, and get your thoughts on them and, and how they're going and, and where, where they might fit in in an Ireland context. You know, you can sort of sprinkle in your thoughts on the weekend as well as we go, Luke. We might start with, with Ty Byrne, who I thought, very impressive performance. He's, uh, yeah. The breakdown. Um, Mr. Man of the Match. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. And like, he's had a, he's had a kind of a, a frustrating, I'd say, for him kind of period since he's come back from the Scarlets. He had those two great years with the Scarlets, came back, had a really good first year with Munster, went to the World Cup, Obviously, the World Cup didn't go as well for, for anyone as they would have hoped. But then he got that nasty injury against Saracens away. And he ha- he hasn't probably kicked on, certainly in an Ireland context, the way people maybe had hoped for. Like, just looking at, it, at his kind of, his capitalist, he started two big games against Wales in the Six Nations in 2019, a day that, that didn't go well for anybody. And he played against France in the last rescheduled game in Paris a couple of weeks ago. Um, like... His talent is brilliant. Like, you know, he's great over the ball. He can carry. He's quick. He's mobile. Like, where do you think he does fit in in an Ireland context, you know, as we look towards the Six Nations? Like, where, where do you see him in the pecking order? Do you think, you know, back row, second row? Like, what are your thoughts? Uh, and do you know, Will, I, like, he falls into that category for me. Like, just, you know, that that something in the middle? Because mm. uh, I just think I'm such a big fan of watching him play. Like, he does so much smart stuff. He's a... He's like a big man with like a, you know, with an incredible engine, great pace, you know, has a good footwork, has, you know, seems to be in the right place at the right time, not just from a defensive perspective, but from an attacking perspective too. Um, you know, not out of place anywhere on the pitch. And I just feel like he's one of those body types that is kind of caught somewhere in the middle and types of player that's caught in the middle. Like, I feel like he's, such a terrible thing to say for such. I, I would hope people don't think this take this as a bad um, or any kind of blight on him. But I feel like he's one of those guys who's like a brilliant player, like kind of like an Austin Healy or someone who's like he could play anywhere, you know, like in the backs. But he can nearly play anywhere in the back five, and he'd be brilliant. But like, does he have an exact position? Um, and they're kind of our body types for each position in international rugby. Um, and they kind of have a you know a narrower kind of skill set to him, um, 
and the building blocks just fit better. I, it's, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying that's what I think of him at the moment. Unbelievable player. Love watching him play. Think at provincial level, you know, it doesn't matter where he plays in the row or six, he's going to be brilliant. And like, it could be a brilliant row. But at international level, I just don't know where, if he's caught between second row and and, and that sixth slot. Um, well, I don't know, Rhodes. What do you think? Just to tie in on that one. I mean, am I wrong? Am I right? Am I know. I, I think. I think. I think you're right. I think he's at, at test level. He's probably a six. To be honest, I think. I think he's he's perfect for the number nineteen jersey. You bring him on with twenty minutes to go. He's got unbelievable energy. He's got a breakdown thread. He's a great carrier of the ball, and he's playing against tired bodies. Like I just, I always go back with Byrne and also Larmer, who was who was very young at the time. I go back to that the third test in Australia in twenty eighteen when Ireland turn the series and those two players won that series for Ireland basically like the, the, the rest of them were on their on their last legs the Leinster lads been going all season on that kind of un- unbelievable year and those two players came on and like Byrne just took the game to Australia over and over again now Australia are probably the kind of team he's, he's made to play against they're probably a similar body type I think we and he's probably a horse for a course you know I'm not sure you put him in there you certainly don't put him in the second row against England I don't think I like I just don't think he's quite big enough and um, I think from a dynamic point of view, I think Ryan Baird's coming along and there's probably a better not burn from for that second second row version at test level. But I think he's a very viable option at six. The only problem he has at six is he's up against Reese Ruddock, who's the form player at Leinster. You're up against the incumbent, CJ Stander, who gives the incredible numbers and, and, and was showing a bit of passing to his game towards the end of the international window. You know, Mahoney is playing seven at the moment, but he can shift back there. And even Doris can play six. So you I think sorry, Gavin Coombs is, is coming through as well. So you have a lot of six. Yeah, like it's Jack Owens back there. as well. There's, yeah. there's loads of them, but I think Byrne has a play. Like he's definitely in the squad. I thought he was very good for Ireland in in, in the autumn. I know he was one of one of Ireland's best players. I just don't think he's quite big enough for a starting lock alongside James Ryan. Maybe you could put him in, alongside a a Quinn Rue, massive type, and, and and but I think Ryan is the first name in the team sheet in in that in that pack. So who do you put alongside him? I just don't think it's Byrne, but I think you could play him at six, or you give him the shirt and he can cover six. He can cover four. And he comes on and makes an impact in games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a, a very impactful role that he would have, you know, as you say, covering back row and second row. And you mentioned him there, Reese Ruddock, another guy. He's won the last three players of the month award. Now, yeah. I know it's a public vote, but even to be kind of in the reckoning shows, he's been standing up a lot for Leinster recently, Luke. He's a guy who's had a very interesting, I suppose, is it over 12 months now? Yeah, like, you know, at the World Cup and in and around the World Cup, people were talking up a lot, but he just... Andy Farrell didn't bring him into the Six Nations squad, which a lot of people were surprised about. He hasn't, like, his form has probably been better even since then, but it's hard to see him, I think, being brought back in even with these great performances. You know, do you think, do you expect him to come back in? I don't know. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I just, like, he's so good. And he's so good. Like, he, to my mind, he's someone who'd be, like, unbelievable for, like, the English game or the French game. He's always unbelievable against the, the huge teams. He's kind of a bit like, I, I just, you know, he's one of those guys you just love going to war with. I'd obviously have, you know, a, a certain level of bias there. I'm trying to leave it out. Um, I certainly recognize, you know, like, I mean, CJ Stander, as much as I probably have been a little bit... Um, you know, critical here and there about him. Like he, he's been. He was. I thought he was really good for large pores. Like every time I watch him, I think he looks very. He looks good in that six role. Uh, he's loads of work, loads of energy. I liked a little bit of ball playing as Rudd's uh, had mentioned, and I did notice. You know, one or two nice flicks off the deck. I thought uh, against Connacht last week. 
um, which I do think is really important for him to add to his game. I think Peter O'Mahony, by the way, his handling has really you know ratcheted up the last couple of months. Um, I just don't know where you fit him in. Is sort of probably where I'm getting to. It's probably the reason why I'm touching on you know Peter Mahoney and that. Like Caelan Doris is there, who's probably a better age. Uh, you know, so is Josh Van der Fleer. Um, I like. I just don't know where you fit him in with it. The real problem for him because like he certainly, to my mind, is a perfect fit, particularly for a few of those games where you're playing. You could be playing maybe a slower game. Not that he's not suited to the other one, uh, because he's been brilliant for Leinster even in the faster ones, but. Maybe the slower ones, he's such a big man. And he, his work rate is incredible. Like, real honest work as well. Like, not just carries, um, which I think lots of people just look at sometimes. Like, he gets the carry num- carrying numbers up. But it's the other stuff. It's the wrestling. It's the stuff that really is tiring that people don't see some of the times. Reese is, he's got an unbelievable engine. Like, incredible engine. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, one of those guys I just feel really sorry for all the time because he just seems to play out of his skin consistently and just doesn't seem to get a look in. And probably off the back of other people playing very well and probably holding the jersey to a certain extent and having not done anything really to deserve losing their place. Um, but that's probably my read on that one, Will. I, I just don't know is the answer to that. Where yeah. you put him in? I think maybe those bigger teams, maybe he might be suited to. Kind of like a burn situation where you say, like you, you have him for a kind of situational player, you know? Yeah, Rod, I think that's an interesting point. Like some of those games against the larger teams, England mainly, uh, you know, when Ireland have been out muscled, you just love to see what he might bring to the table in a fixture like that. Now, it's hard to have a player and say, I'm only going to play him or I'm going to bring him in for the biggest game of the tournament. But it would be interesting to see how he'd fare in that, in that specific scenario. I I think we're set. I, like, I, I, I think he's too good for that. Like, I, I can't believe Reese Rudder has the amount of caps he has. Like he's such a good player, and he's he's. I think it would send an unbelievably bad message if he wasn't called up to the squad for the Six Nations because he's done everything you could have asked of a player who was left out. I mean, Luke knows him as a teammate. I mean, I I, I only deal with him, you know, from the media side of things. But he's a, he's an incredibly decent fellow, from what I know. He's a, he seems to be an an excellent teammate. He, like. I think he was t- almost too nice about when Andy Farrell dropped him and told him he'd lost form because there was no evidence from the outside that he'd really lost form. It was a really strange decision. And I think he took it and he kind of, he almost, he took it personally and went, right, okay. But he took it personally in the right way. He, he knuckled down. He's like, he looks like he's in better shape than he's ever been. But he was one of Ireland's best players. Good. He's honestly one of the greats. You know those teammates you have, like one yeah. of the greats, like the best guy to have in your team, in your squad. But like he was one of Ireland's best players in the World Cup. He came on against New Zealand, and is that like I think if you watch that game back, like he was one of the few who went, you know what, we're still in the World Cup quarterfinal here. I'm going to do everything I can to turn this game around, even though it was a lost cause. He brought he brought the game to New Zealand in the Japan game. I think he ended up as captain against Japan because of whatever injuries had happened. He was the only one taking the game to Japan. He's a leader. He's he's an excellent excellent back row forward. He's an in incredible shape. He's a really good leader. He's a really good captain. Like I, I thought he was a decent outside bet to be the Ireland captain because Johnny, I, you know, personally I think Johnny's too old and I don't think there's an obvious successor if you don't want to go with James Ryan as the young one. And suddenly he ends up out of the setup altogether. I can't understand it. I couldn't understand it at the time. I haven't heard a legitimate reason as to why he's not in the setup at all. I don't see what you'd lose by having him there, particularly when Jack Cohen got injured. They didn't call anyone up. I just think you got to have Miller. He's too good. He's in too good form and he's done everything you've asked of him. And I think he should be like. I think you've got to find a way to get him into your team. Like he's in too, he's playing too well to leave him out at the moment. 
And it sets you up. You said what I couldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> Good boy, well, it's like, it, it, it is a difficult place because like, people will ask, right, who do you drop then? And Omani finished very well in the, in, in the spring and is playing well. Doris is excellent. Standard. Like, do you play, like you've got the first two games are Scotland and, and, and France. Play one of them one week and one of them the next week. Use your squad. You know, I, I think Coombs is an excellent player as well who probably should be in the squad as well. And, and you know, you could argue that I'm just naming everyone now. And, and, you know, when it comes to it, you've got to pick the squad. But I think, like, Reece Ruddock is in exceptional form. You've got to use your body smartly. You could start one of them the first week, bring the other off the bench, and then flip them the following week. That's smart use, use of your players. But this guy, I think, is too good and too good a character to have around the place. All the things you want in, in an international player, get him in there, get him playing, because his form, is, his form demands it at the moment. Well, you were talking about possible possibles versus probables, like Leinster Munster in, in two weeks' time. You know, you could have the, the back row, all those guys you were just listing there going head-to-head. Yeah, plus Dan Levy. Yeah, that will really be well, an interesting... He hasn't done enough for an Ireland's call-up yet, I don't think. But it, like, if he does well against Munster, I think he might even be brought in just as a, as a training player to get him back into the system. But, you know, he's the outstanding seven, I think, in, in Ireland when he's fit and firing. Or he certainly was before his injury. I'm moving from the forwards to the backs and a player who I suppose his Ireland career had looked like it was probably at an end. But when you're in form like Dave Carney, 19 tries and 22 appearances, and one of those was a three minute cameo off the bench. So it's really 19 tries and 21 starts. You know, there's pro- <laughs> like there's, there's, again, in the back three, we have some established wingers, Stockdale, Earls, you have Larmer, you have Hugo Keenan, James Lowe, a lot of competition there. But Carney's form over the last, you know, 12 months, a little longer for Leinster has been been very, very good. Really, really good. God, he took that try. Like, I know it was some of the most disgraceful defence I've ever seen, um, but it was an unbelievable finish. Uh, to, to get It was the second tackle I was more thinking about. The first tackle, like, you have to put him in touch, but um, it was an unbelievable finish. And, yeah, he's been on the end of lots of really good stuff. He's not trying, to, you know, not that he was before, but not not trying to do anything, like, spectacular all the time. He's just, like, really solid, you know, like, really hard carries, getting the ball back, popping up in all the right places, finishing when he's got the opportunities. Um, yeah, like, I think certainly he, he has to be in the mix because he's been playing really well. And Andrew Conway's obviously been out for a little bit. Uh, that'll help the cause. So is James Lowe. Uh, Jordan Armour only just back so I mean look if there was ever a time and look he has he's, he's been you know very good in, in an Ireland jersey um, and, you know if the team is playing well you know he's a guy who like, he's a good knack for a try as well so uh, yeah fan of Dave Carney's and uh, good to see him playing well Will yeah yeah, Rudy, it's been an interesting resurgence for him because he would have been a player who, you know, you had people like Adam Byrne breaking through in the back three for Leinster and it looked like his time maybe had come to an end. I remember he started against Toulouse at home 2019, it would have been around January, and he, he scored a great try, great finish, across kick, across, kick, yeah, across yeah, field yeah. kick, and he fielded it really well and, and got it down in the corner. I think even when he started that game, people were a little bit surprised, but he kind of kicked on from there. And, you know, as Luke says, like, it was when you're playing in a Leinster team that's going really well, you're going to get some opportunities. But, you know, there's other backs in that team who aren't rocking up, you know, anywhere near as many tries. Some of his finishes have been really good. Like, what have you made of, of the way he's kind of played himself back into a prominent role? Yeah, I like, I think it's been very impressive. And I think he was very unfortunate with injuries over the years. And he picked up a really unlucky one in that game wasn't it the Munster game when, when or was it the one afterwards when, when we came back and it ruled it gave Hugo Keener the shot so like you know Hugo Keenan came in for him and ended up starting all of Ireland's games in the in, in, in the autumn and started against Saracens as well so I think Kearney would have probably had more of a role for Ireland in November and on October November and December that window that we had 
um, had it not been for that injury. He was, I think he came in for training once or twice, but he wasn't really involved. Um, he's definitely a contender. I do think it's like you were, you were talk, probably talking about the two most competitive areas um, in, the, in the squad at the moment. And I think Keenan's been very good, hasn't he? I mean, Keenan's like, been he, excellent. Uh, he looked like, I thought Larmer looked sharp. Larmer looked sharp. You know, Stockdale's looked pretty good since November. So, like, there's, there's, there's good options there. So, I think he's got he's got work to do to get a starting spot, and like Keith Earls has been good as well, um, and is obviously a very important member of that setup, and um, with Ireland. So, like I think he's he can't ignore his record. I think he should be in the squad. I think he's got a bit of work to do to get into the starting team, but I don't think he'll let Ireland down if selected. I think he like he's probably due an opportunity. I think he got like called in before the World Cup and never really. He was always going to be one of the first to go at the, out of the World Cup squad, and really he hasn't got a huge Ireland chance. Um, since he was a regular in the team, you know, probably around 2014, 2015. I think he's, he's, he's due a shot at some stage, but he might need an injury or two to get in there. Yeah, as you say, another very competitive area. There's a few different combinations that Andy Farrell could go with, especially with Lammer being fit again. So it'll depend on Stockdale's availability if he's back from that injury. As was a player we talked about last week, Luke, after the Connacht Leinster game was Jack Carty. Um, did he back it up last weekend? Probably not. If you're being brutally honest, he had that bad missed kick. To be fair, he nailed an unbelievable touchdown conversion at the end to keep them in it, and they probably should have snatched that game. I was, you know, how do you rate the kind of out half situation now as we as we approach that squad announcement? Johnny is is a cert to be named in the squad. You have Billy Burns, Ross Byrne, Harry Byrne, Jack Cardi to name four guys probably competing for two positions. Like, how do you see it at the moment? Uh, oh yeah. Um... Look, Johnny's there. Um, and I think he's going to be definitely the, the number one. Uh, I think Billy Burns has done well. Um, Ian Madigan's done okay. Uh, Jack Hardy was very good, obviously, in the RDS. But again, I thought it fairly mixed. Look, it was a tricky enough afternoon in the sports ground anyway. Can't say that conditions were unbelievable for, for running rugby football, as they say. But um, yeah, it's one of those ones like, look... Wasn't really able to steer them. Like they needed that. They really needed that win. We talked about it. Will I thought it was really key for them. I know that like the two yellow cards at the end, and they, you know, should they have got over, and they probably would have got over if the game went down another five minutes. But you have to win those ones. Like if you're stepping up, if you get big result the week before, like you know, they're the ones. They're the ones. Like we we talk about them in a completely different light. They go ahead and win that one at home. Um, but and they did, you know, Connor supporters like they give out to me now for for saying it. But there was a, you know, they really did have to win those ones. Like if you want to be considered, if you if you want people to be talking about you in conversations and your players in conversations to be, you know, in the international team based on performances, it has to be backed up. It has to be a lot of good games in a row, like you know, Ulster, like Leinster, um, you know, and I think you know to a certain extent, Munster have been very consistent as well. You need to get, you need, you need to back up those big ones, and and that was really disappointing for me actually. And to talk on on Jack Carty, look, I probably still feel Ross Byrne might be might be ahead of him. Uh, I know. I look, I, by the way, I thought he had an unbelievable game at thirteen. I don't know what anyone else thought. I thought he was brilliant at thirteen. His defence was class. Um, you know, I thought he he managed James Hume very well. I thought that was going to be a very difficult challenge for him, but um, I still think he might have the edge on him. Um, open to be corrected or a different opinion on that, but that might, that's probably where I'm sitting at the moment. I just feel like you have to back up those ones, and he didn't. Yeah, Rod, do you want to come in there? Yeah, I like I I don't get I don't want to be too cruel, but it's an unexceptional field, isn't it? I mean, Johnny Sexton is the is so far ahead, and he's 35, and there's no one who looks like they're going to come across, come along and finish him off. Really, you know, um, 
Ireland need Joey Carberry fit, and that's still like he's still that footnote at the bottom of Munster press releases. There's no sign of him coming back, and and I really don't think there's a huge difference between Burn, Burns and Carty. There is in terms of style, but I think in terms of their level, I think they, they can all do a decent job without being the team leader that Ireland need in that position that Johnny Sexton is. And um, I thought Carty, like I thought Munster did an incredible job of like I've rarely seen a team just torpedo a light or sorry an opposition breakdown like that. Like it just doesn't happen as much. In the modern game, I thought the way they went after him at the, at the Rook was just exceptional. I really enjoyed it. was a crap game, but it was like just the way they threw themselves into it and would abandon. Like it was, it was, it was fantastic. And that probably starved Caelan Blade and, and Jack Harty of, of the kind of ball they need to thrive. But at the same time, you're looking to him as a senior guy to kind of run the game and he didn't probably show enough. And um, Billy Burns was good in the first half, I thought, but didn't, didn't back it up in the second half. And now he's got a month, you know, pretty much month off. On the back of being managed, on uh, after you know he was in the player management for pre you know over Christmas, so he's quite light in game time. So I think we're going to see Ross Byrne probably back there again, um, and and he hasn't really done anything in an Ireland jersey. I thought he, like he looks so good for Leinster, and he just doesn't look as confident or comfortable when he puts on the green shirt. But if he keeps getting the opportunities, you hope he's going to step up because he is a good player. Uh, he did well at 13. I'm not sure his long-term future is there. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no. I think Gary Ringwells might have an edge. But yeah. I, I thought he was... I was really worried about it. I was thinking, Jesus, I mean, that's a big move to have him out that wide. Because um, I wouldn't have said he'd had exceptional pace. But, gee, I thought he was brilliant. I, I don't know. I mean, I actually thought he had a really, really good game. I, I don't know why... Um, and it worked. I thought the way they, they, they... I thought the way himself and Sexton played. And Frawley's yeah. done it really well this season. I love that. The second distributor, I think Ireland should try and find a way of bringing that into the game because it just it gives you so many options to just attack on both sides when you're threatening both sides it's so hard to defend against and it, and it just kept Ulster so on the back foot the whole time once they started because I thought Sexton was fairly sluggish in the first half but kind of grew into it after that it, like his, his counter attack when he rolled back the years is, uh, he looked like a young Luke Fitzgerald the size of the <laughs> lads and raced up the left wing very harsh very harsh <laughs> uh, no but no he was he, I look I, I, I agree with all of that I think you know, I'm just always worried about that area of the pitch. Um, and I was worried about it before the game that if you have two kind of playmakers in 10, 12, or maybe ugh, 13 to my mind, it's a little bit, you need to have a, a, a real outside break or a threat there. I do think you need that in your game, which I don't think he has. Um, beautiful ball player. We know that. But, you know, particularly if you're comparing him versus other 13s. But um, I'm always worried if you're playing someone in 12, which is the safer option when you don't have out and out pace, really. Um, that you get out muscled, and if you get out muscled, like could you imagine him coming up against a Tuilagi or you know I don't know someone someone of that kind of nature? It'd be, be a long day at the office unless you're ho- unless you were having about 60 percent of the possession or over. That's a bloody long day at the office, and you just can't give up ground in there. Um, uh, I, by the way, I, th- I thought there was a really interesting head to head. I thought Robbie Henshaw and McCluskey was a really good battle. Really, really. I thought McCluskey was excellent in the first half. I thought he kind of didn't see much of him in the second half. I don't know if that was more down to the team, but um, I thought he looked really good in the first half. Some really kind of muscly stuff. Um, but uh, that was a really interesting battle. I don't know what you guys thought. And that, like, I mean, I wonder, McCluskey's another guy here kind of saying, you know, why hasn't there been much kind of fan? Well, open ulcers are a lot of fanfare, but why not amongst maybe the coaching staff? I don't know. He's, he's, like, he's. He's just like I mean, he's unlucky. Like he's he's in a he's in a tough field. I, I don't think he, I don't think he's better than Hancho or Aki in in some parts of the game, and certainly under in the Joe, you know what what I don't think he fits what Joe would have looked for in a player. I thought he was like 
I thought he was quite good in his debut at Twickenham, but he threw, he was getting run into touch, and he, th- he flung the ball behind him twice, um, and the ball went to ground, and that's just, it was a big no-no, and, and he never really, I think he played against Fiji once after that under Joe. I think he's more of a Farrell-type player. I think Farrell will like a lot of what he brings in terms of his, like his size, his offloading is fantastic. He's, you know, he's a good choke actor. He's a good defender. But he probably needs just a few more injuries in his position to get a run. Like Chris Farrell kind of took his chance, whereas McCluskey hasn't really had that chance. But I, I think he's well capable of doing it at that level. He's just, I think Henshaw is a more complete footballer and Aki probably, like Aki just never gets injured. He's just, he's, he's so durable and he always shows up for Ireland. So he's probably been unlucky in those. Yeah, I always liked the quote from McCluskey when he was talking about it, like how he was kind of thrown aside after his first cap and he was just like, I didn't play that badly. Like I watched it back. Like I thought I played pretty well. Like, and uh, people are going on. One. I refuse to believe that what he, you know, the, the bad things he had that day, you can't coach out of someone. I, they weren't, they weren't oh, yeah. huge. They're like, it's, I, was, I thought he was very harshly treated after that actually. And there was um, always lads who were who were who were judged on different stats. Like you know, like if, if another player threw those offloads, maybe, maybe he needed to have five caps before he threw those offloads. But other people would have been let it, let it would have been let slide. But I'm not sure the, the face didn't fit there. You know, yeah, yeah. something about it's a weird one. Yeah, because I played against, I've marked him. I've marked all. Well, I've been in the same played second centre more against Aki, but I've marked all three. He he's a real handful to mark. Uh, he's not. He's very unpleasant to tackle. He's the least pleasant of all three of those guys to tackle. He's a, an absolute monster, but um, yeah, interesting one. Yeah, I, I'd like to see. I'd love to see him get a bit more time in there. But as you say, it's hard to to, to squeeze in there some real quality. Yeah, it's one of the many uh, selection battles. It'll be interesting to see when they name the squad in a few weeks' time, and we could probably sit here all night going player by player. But uh, for the ball, but Luke Rudd, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. Cheers, guys. That's all we have time for on the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening, and goodbye.